Hello, and welcome to the second ever episode of the Examined Podcast, entitled Boku Ways to Sustain Your Brain, Evidence-Based Ways to Help Preserve Memory, Cognition, and Superpowers. Uh, this is going to be a short post, a uh, short podcast, I should say. I'm going to just basically summarize the post a bit, but I'm also going to throw in some extra commentary, expanding a little bit on some of the ideas, maybe commenting on some of the uh, different readers' comments as well. And most importantly, I'm going to lead off with a beat. That's just what we do around here on the podcast, coming to you from South Philly. And what I'm going to do first is a paradiddle. This is a little drumming rudiment that I learned when I was a kid. And it's, uh, it, we all know how to go right, left, right, left, right, left. But uh, there's another kind of funky little thing you can do, which is a single stroke right, left, and then a double stroke right, right, followed by a single stroke left, right, left, left. And I'll teach the whole thing to you at the end, but here's what it sounds like. And I'm going to argue that this is another way to sustain your brain. Practicing music, practicing drums has actually been shown in clinical trials to help grow the brain and preserve a lot of cross networks in the brain. Here we go. The paradiddle. There it is, and we're off to the second episode. Thanks for listening. All right, so uh, I basically start off this article with um, just a nod to the previous post. A lot of people got a lot out of it with Prevagen. I've actually had a lot of people come to the office and ask me a little bit more about that. Uh, they passed it on to some friends, saved some money. These are some very uh, free and easy things that we can do that have been shown to help cognition and to help ward off uh, the worst aspect of that, which would be uh, further decline into even dementia. So, but this can help anybody who's just looking to preserve cognition as they get older. And I, right up front, I do try to talk about how some decline in cognition and memory and sharpness is certainly natural. So I think we all fear uh, the worst, but I think we also need to accept that some decline is, is normal. So basically the, I kind of frame, the framework I used for this was an article out of The Lancet, which was called Dementia Prevention, Intervention and Care a 2020 report of the Lancet Commission. Now, once again, they're focusing on the most severe outcome of cognitive decline, which would be dementia or Alzheimer's. But these uh, 12 modifiable risk factors are really things that we can all use, whether we fear dementia or just cognitive decline or just want to stay sharper as we get older. So uh, these 40, uh, sorry, these 12 modifiable, modifiable risk factors were found to together account for about 40% of dementia cases. Now, that doesn't mean that you can prevent 40% by doing all these things and being mindful of them, but you can certainly prevent a lot and delay a lot more. So uh, they found in this study that you know hearing loss was probably the most preventable and modifiable risk factor. And it, it led to about an 8% um, higher burden of dementia cases. So uh, people that have hearing loss, definitely there's a, uh, an isolation that happens with that, uh, communication and all the pathways that light up when we do communicate with people really keep our brains healthy. So investing in a hearing aid if you can, uh, is really important and, and hopefully help us on the way. The FDA just passed some legislation that will allow uh, hearing aids to be sold over the counter without doctor's prescriptions. So that should be great. That should you know lower the costs a lot, they think. And uh, I think it's really, really a good investment. So I know that there's always the stigma of wearing something in the ear that looks funny, but uh, you know once again, things have come a long way. So there's a little cartoon on the Thing here in 1933, the hearing aids looked pretty terrible, but 
now they're pretty amazing and I don't even see them in most of my patients in the office. Uh, another modifiable risk factor is poor education. Now this, obviously we can't go back and get better education, but I think it does point to the fact that uh, we should really emphasize that for children, that uh, pushing through early education for uh, young ones all the way through high school and college and beyond has really been shown to build up quite a reserve and uh, education throughout life is really important too. I think being a lifelong learner, we can kind of extrapolate from that, that that's really important to preserve cognitive function. Uh, giving up smoking, I think we all got that message uh, you know, 20, 30 years ago, but it's still very important to put out there because a lot of people are still hooked on nicotine. It's not their fault, it's just a very addictive substance. So giving up smoking or getting help quitting is really important. Uh, depression, especially in later life, depression can actually really degrade the brain, degrade cognitive status, and being aware of depression and treating it and getting the help that people need really does help um, preserve brain function, cognition, and sharpness. So uh, sometimes even just the corollary of that is that people with severe de dementia, especially, um, sorry, severe depression later in life can actually show all the signs and symptoms of dementia, but in some cases, if we're lucky, treating that depression can really expose that um, as something called pseudo-dementia or not, not really dementia, just a depression that was masquerading as that. Social, social isolation, once again, just a huge problem during the pandemic. We really had to sacrifice a lot to get through the first stages when people were uh, not vaccinated. There was just uh, terrible mortality rates, hospitals clogging up, especially in places like Italy, if you remember. Um, even in our own country, New York City, stuff like that. So that social isolation, I guess, was an extreme example, but certainly elders as family members uh, get on with their own lives and partners maybe uh, either pass away or become um, more isolated, less friendships. Uh, it's just, it can contribute once again to the, the web of the brain just really not being as strong. So trying to forge new friendships and keep up with old ones and stay involved with family, however you do that safely, is really important. Um, traumatic brain injuries, uh, also a pretty, pretty uh, modifiable risk factor. Accidents, think of that sort of thing, and, and the things that contribute to accidents. So not drinking and driving, uh, driving defensively, especially in Jersey where, where I practice in Philly. It's just, it's, it's not as bad as New York, but it's pretty bad. And uh, just sort of trying to disengage from those risky um, situations where one might get in a traumatic brain injury, uh, certainly wearing helmets, skiing, biking, staying off motorcycles, that sort of thing. Air pollution, that was a pretty high one. And once again, that's hard to impact in your own small world. Uh, we all just kind of live in this metro area. Most of us uh, do, but improving air quality, especially in the home, you know, I think that a lot of studies have shown that air quality in homes is often, I don't know, 10 times worse than it is outside sometimes. So getting fresh ventilation in, uh, if you do live in a city, trying to support uh, leaders and policies that clean up your air and just a, a broader federal policies that, that limit air pollution would help all of us. Um, hypertension is up there. Uh, treating that is very important as well. Um, newer guidelines really push for less than 130, but that is sort of a variable depending on the age and, and goals of care and different side effects of medications. But certainly eating less salt if you have hypertension Maybe not super low salt, but you know less, and uh, getting exercise, keeping your weight ideal, all that sort of stuff, which also goes into the next thing, which is physical activity. The, a lot of overlap there. So we all know that exercise is really important for preserving uh, body health, but also for mental uh, acuity and, and health. Diabetes is on there. 
and excessive alcohol consumption and obesity. So those sort of round out the top 12 and really focusing on those 12 modifiable risk factors could lead to a 40% reduction in, in this country and, and the world's uh, rates of dementia and cognitive decline. Now, I don't know if those percentages that I listed on the website uh, are in the article are completely accurate. There are certainly other uh, studies. I've, I mentioned one in JAMA Neurology that really put hypertension at the top of that list, followed by obesity, uh, kind of like flipped the percentages a little bit. So I think depending on which study you look at, you might get different percentages, but you get the idea um, to really just focus on those things. Uh, and then I just kind of go through just riffing on a couple of things that I don't have percentages on, but we all know and that studies have borne out are, are really beneficial for preserving cognition and once again, warding off the more severe effects like dementia. Uh, really try to get better sleep. Once again, I'm going to try to keep this podcast a lot shorter than the last one. I'm going to get myself to bed. Hope you can too. And uh, studies really show that cerebrospinal fluid kind of a, in a really neat way, uh, the uh, ventricles and the whole CSF system expand at night and kind of clean out the brain, get rid of toxic metabolites that are built up all day. And the brain is, you know, very plastic organ. There's a lot of, um, you know, plasticity going on with neurons and connections. And, uh, you know, even dreaming has, has a role in uh, helping memory and cognitive functions. So um, try not to obsess about sleep, but just, you know, resting, getting to bed. Don't worry about the hours but do try to be in bed for at least seven hours resting. If you sleep, even better. Um, paying attention is really important. I know that sounds like something you would say to a kid, but I think we're all really distracted with modern life and all the things, bells and whistles going off and phones and stimuli everywhere. So I think just trying to practice a little bit more simple thought sometimes really does help organize the brain. Uh, along those lines, technology, just iPhones and TikTok and alerts and going things going off all the time, messages and texts and uh, alerts from the newest news. I mean, all that stuff just really fragments the brain. And I remember reading a study one time, just having a phone in a room, you know, when you're seeing a patient, you know, I sometimes have my phone in, in the room because I need to be on call for different emergencies. But even just knowing that phone there, there's just a constant sort of magnetic tide that pulls your brain to that phone. You're kind of thinking about it. And that does... Um, Know, pull your, your your attention away. So I think that once again, I, I did have a comment there that I thought was kind of interesting that I had heard someone else say that, uh, you know, humans make tools, but then the tools kind of remake the humans. So I think that we see that a lot with uh, our technologies, especially the phone. I'm sure we could think of a million ways you guys can think uh, in your own lives how smartphones have maybe rewired your brain for better and, and a lot of times for worse. So I think just you know, putting the tech down for a while and letting your brain do its thing that it evolved to do for millions of years without the phones. Um, exercising your brain. That's what I'm going to do at the end here with a little silly paradiddle thing with drumming. But I, I will cite a few articles real quick that just show even things like playing drums, uh, you know, picking up a new instrument, learning new skills, always keeping the brain active really does help. So reading, uh, nonfiction, reading fiction, really having that uh, those narratives and the um, interplay that happens in fiction is really important. And, and some people say that that may even be more important than reading nonfiction. So uh, I need to do more of that. Um, new skills, new games, you know, uh, gardening, sewing, sports, especially team sports. I did see another study that showed staying active athletically is very important. It does help the brain. But if you can really do a sport, and a lot of people do like pickleball as you get older, things like that, which I still don't understand because that 
totally rips up my knees. <laughs> but team sports really do bring out a social component as well as the mental, physical, and coordination, and really just hits a lot of different brains, uh, brain um, synthesis. So cooking recipes is really challenging too, and I think that you know if we can live a little bit harder life, sometimes that can be a more challenging life, but it really does keep the brain sharper. So kind of eschew some of the uh, simple shortcuts in life. But, you know, definitely watch uh, the new Game of Thrones thing. I'm just watch binge watch TV occasionally. You got to do that. Exercise your body. Of course, uh, I'm not going to go into that too much. I think it's just a lot of studies do show that physical inactivity is very correlated with cognitive decline and, you know, just being very sedentary is bad. doesn't mean you have to be doing sports all the time, but staying active, puttering during the day. I think a lot of my patients that are the most successful agers uh, don't exercise necessarily, but they're constantly in motion, puttering, doing things you know, little projects, they're, they're really rarely sitting and just you know, twiddling their thumbs and watching TV. They're really constantly going. There's always something to do. And then, you know, eating healthy foods. Uh, you can see on the article on the website, there's sort of a, a pyramid, an inverted pyramid there. Uh, Western diet, kind of bad, high in processed foods, uh, simple carbs, sugars, things like that, saturated fats, whereas a healthier diet for the brain might be something like a Mediterranean diet full of fruits and vegetables, whole grains, uh, fish, you know, going easy on the saturated fats and, and very easy on the sugars. Uh, another study, you know, maybe uh, that fell outside the Lancet study was uh, another one showing how to improve your vision. Uh, that's also very important. You know, one study even found that cataract surgery reduced the onset of dementia by 30%. And so vision loss can really lead to these um, structural changes in the brain and function too. And once again, increases isolation and loneliness. So having good vision Good hearing, both really important windows into the brain that the brain uses to um, keep functioning and keep constantly building new connections. And then uh, I just kind of put in a plug for reading newsletters, writing newsletters, uh, writing poetry, fiction, you know, just keep the brain going. It, it, it's a fun, creative pursuit to do. And, and uh, it's really helped my brain a little bit get out of the fragmentation that I feel sometimes with these medical records that I have to do computerized and window after window popping up and just crushing any little narrative that I try to establish uh, in a patient's history. I really have to fight these technological things that um, writing this newsletter, maybe doing a podcast has let my brain kind of focus and, and have a more cohesive narrative than, than what we get with the um, choppiness of, of technology and um, the electronic medical record in particular. And then finally, you know, just because this is the age we live in, pandemic, COVID stuff, uh, COVID can definitely cause some brain fog that can last for weeks, months, can even be permanent. We have seen increased depression rates, increased psychiatric disturbances, anxiety, um, you know, with COVID. So if you're vaccinated, great. If you're boosted, great. If you've gotten over COVID, great. Just try to keep playing the game. Try not to keep getting COVID. And uh, when you, if you do get sick, I think treatment is really important, not only to reduce your risk of severe disease, but we think probably viral loads. You know, if you do treat that with antivirals, you reduce the risk of, um, you know, additional long haul symptoms. So I'll, I'll just take it easy there. I'm, I'm just going to maybe stop with the article presentation there. Just a few comments that we had from um, some of the readers. I think that, uh, you know, not to pretend like I have like a million comments here, but I, I do love the comments and, and really trying to create like a little community here. And, and I um, do appreciate when people um, sign up and, and leave comments. It's really Great. So, you know, one thing was basically just talking about how a lot of these risk factors are, un, are avoidable. And, and, and unfortunately, they are day-to-day -day decisions that really add up to a, a long um, 
impact on our lives. So, you know, Linda made a really good point about that. Um, Grace has a comment here about um, sort of like stepping back and thinking how long this article took to read. It probably took like 15 or 20 minutes, which I totally apologize for. But I think our brains are really like mine too, just very accustomed to like you know, barely being able to get through a newspaper article or, or you know, looking at Twitter or, you know, just like quick feeds on Facebook or whatever, which I don't really use, but just sort of not feeling like you have to see the entire content out there because it's just too much good content. There's just too much to read. There's too many great shows to um, watch and just really trying to do a little deeper dive and a more considered thorough um, reading of things is okay. You're not going to be able to read it all. And, uh, you know, Gemma had a really great, great quote about here, just maybe, um, you know, the mental uh, decline is, you know, maybe there is some like benefit to that in some, in some way, it kind of softens things a little bit. Um, maybe what looks devastating is, is maybe not quite as bad if things soften a little bit. So I think that some of the natural aging is okay. And I think we need to accept that and sort of embrace it. And once again, be compassionate and maybe even, um, you know, just not take it as, a, as such a devastating thing when we do decline both physically and, and mentally. Um, hopefully we can hold on to the, uh, the core aspects of what keep us ourselves. And then, um, you know, finally, last thing I see on here was Carla basically just saying that the uh, generation ahead and then the generation behind, she's kind of in the sandwich generation, which I think a lot of people my age feel that way too. I'm in my mid forties and, uh, you know, just really just trying to see the future, look at the past, be in the present, it's just very overwhelming. So um, I, I think once again, these 12 modifiable risk factors are just a, a framework to try to guide us through the past, present and future and, and not to feel regrets or shame about you know, choices we've made in the past, but just trying to preserve things the best we can in the future. All right, last thing here, uh, drums. I just found some kind of stuff. You can go down all kinds of rabbit holes, but one article I found here about drumming and uh, once again, uh, just picking up new skills when we were talking about exercising the brain, uh, drumming as a coordinated exercise. And there's a study here in Nature from uh, a couple of years ago, just basically showing that drumming is a coordinated exercise, combining musicality, cardiovascular exercise, bilateral arm and leg movements. There's a sensory motor integration processes going on in the brain. And, you know, drumming as a new skill, I'm just throwing this out there as like something you might want to try. Um, or any kind of musical instrument really. But drumming in particular is a really unique activity. It really challenges the brain to synchronize multiple limbs within the constraints of timing, tempo, precision, and volume. So I, I did see, um, they did a study actually, uh, people that took up drumming just as like three times a week for 30 minutes. Uh, once again, I'm not saying that you have to do this, but I'm just showing that the brain is very plastic as you get older. And, and they found that different areas in the brain, especially the cerebellum, actually grew in size and they found more interconnectivity in different parts of the brain just after six weeks of drumming. Um, that article, I, once again, I'd, I'd love to go into a, a detail about, but I'll just spare you that. There's another one here about, um, you know, once again, um, let's see, there was one here, actually it was kind of crazy that I read about that uh, even children with autism, they, there's some, um, there's a, one study showing that there was a strong evidence that learning how to drum reduce, reduces um, hyperactivity and inattention in autistic adolescents strengthening functional connections in the brain, um, which kind of blew my mind that, um, you know, there's just how often do we prescribe drumming to kids with autism or, or attention deficit type problems. And uh, yeah, so anyway, I could go into that more and more, but like I said, I'm gonna try to keep this shorter. And so here is your lesson for the day. 
if you would like to practice a little brain stuff, this uh, drumming really engages your cerebellum, which is the seat in your brain back of the uh, back of the head there that controls uh, coordination. But there's pathways that lead up from the cerebellum all throughout the brain. And so coordination really does, um, all the parts of the brain are really interconnected. And so um, if you think about drumming, little finger drumming type stuff, you're working your cerebellum, there's, um, there's auditory processing, there's coordination, there is right versus left through the corpus callosum, which connects both uh, hemispheres of the brain, there's cerebrocortical activity. And so, you know, just, I taught my daughter this little thing and she uh, thought it was fun, so I'm going to teach you. It's called a, called a paradiddle, and it's one of the uh, basic rudiments that we learn in drumming. And if you're a frustrated little uh, drummer here in your house, like me, without the drum set, you can just do it with your fingers. So ready? I'm going to teach you this. I'm going to turn the mic down a little bit. Ready? All right, so a paradiddle is, instead of just going right, left, right, left, you just do a single stroke right, single stroke left, and then double right. So that's right, left, right, right. Then you switch it up to the other side. Left, right, left, left. So if you practice it, you're gonna sound like this for a while. And if that's all you do, you are definitely increasing certain parts of your brain. You're forging all kinds of new connections. And if you wanna get a little bit better, after a couple of years, you sound like this. to get a little faster you put little accents in there on the first right left right right left right left left and then if you just want to end the podcast on a good note you start slow and you go fast That's it. So uh, next time I see you, I want to hear a pod. I want to hear a paradiddle, and it can be really slow. And if I don't see you, give it a try at home. And once again, thanks for listening to the podcast. I'm just having a little fun, and I hope you did too. And thanks for listening. This concludes the second ever episode. Have a good day.